You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to another edition of the Payments Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, James Tiadarini, and I'm super excited to have Nick Fulton with us today, CEO and co-founder of TrustShare. Hey, Nick, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having me on. on. Not a problem at all. I think, Nick, we've got a bit of a shared past. You're one of the first clients I spoke to when I joined Currency Cloud, I think, way back in the heady days of like 2019, 2020, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, a long time, time back, definitely. A long time ago. So I'm um, really excited to have Nick here today. We, we've spoken to um, people like Louis Carbonnier from, from Hakodo recently, obviously working in the kind of B2B marketplaces space. And um, I'll obviously allow Nick to introduce himself. But Nick's business, TrustShare, is really working to, again, revolutionize that payments piece that we see within marketplaces. But Nick, I'd love to hear a little bit more from you about your background, TrustShare, and, and the story so far. Yeah, so um, so TrustShares, we offer a complete fintech layer for marketplaces. So across payments, escrow, banking, and credit. And, and yeah, credit, we work with partners. Uh, we're kind of launching a few new partners actually in the next couple of months. So yeah, our mission basically is to make a fintech simple for marketplaces. And we're kind of uh, two years down the track working with marketplaces across Europe and, and with global coverage. So Amazing. Thank you. And so talk to us about kind of the origin story of, of TrustShare. Like where, where did that come from? What was it, the kind of gap that you saw, you know, that little light bulb moment that made you go, yeah, amazing. This is where we need to, where our product is going to work, where our company is going to live and breathe. Yeah, so actually I, I was working at a company that tracks phone calls through marketplaces. So we worked with kind of non-transactional marketplaces like Autotrader, Zoopla, OpenTable, and I was heading up sales in Northern Europe, North America, and APAC. So uh, a terrible sales role. <laughs> a lot of time time. differences there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And basically all of our customers were saying, we want to go transactional. We want to start offering payments, but they were basically saying there wasn't a really good solution on the market for what they were looking for. So I wasn't in fintech at all at the time, realized I need to move to fintech to make it happen, uh, joined a fintech, got acquired. And then myself and the CTO of that business said, yeah, let's let's make this happen and let's kind of help these marketplaces with the pain points they have. Brilliant. And so that kind of brings us up to sort of two years ago, right? Like we were sort of two years, two years into this journey now. And I suppose kind of coinciding with with what we've seen at Currency Cloud in that Again, it's. I think we were talking about explosions in fintech quite a lot, but I think particularly on the B two B side of things with marketplaces, we're seeing we're seeing huge growth. And again, in areas that were traditionally non digitally transactional, very much kind of manual, you know, offline invoice based. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you've seen in that? I suppose again, that growth of both B two C and B two B marketplaces, but obviously what that means from a kind of payments perspective as well, and a transactional perspective. Yeah, so I mean, there's quite a famous slide in marketplaces based around Craigslist in consumers. So Craigslist, obviously, a, a huge marketplace in the US, often underestimated. I mean, they did a billion in revenue in 2019 wow. as their biggest year ever in 2019. I think post COVID, they, they struggled a bit more. But with there's a slide there that basically breaks down every single category on Craigslist and then says, you know, there's a billion pound business here, billion pound business here, billion pound business here. And, and there's kind of this verticalization of consumer marketplaces is now kind of the B2B world mm. looks, well, why can't this happen in my vertical? So I think there's a bit of a skip of, well, I mean, Alibaba is probably a more generalist marketplace in B2B, but now we're going from the Alibaba similar to Craigslist 
to kind of a verticalization of each category going, we're going to be the market leader in this particular vertical and this particular use case. So, I mean, generally it makes sense for industries and verticals to be platformized because basically what a platform does and a marketplace does, it centralizes the marketing spend in a particular industry. And to be the market leader in a particular industry for in a marketing sense, it, you know, if you offer choice and you have all the your sellers there, you offer the whole industry in one point, you're dominating on on the marketing front, you can set focus on that particular vertical and win that area. So yeah, I mean, it's we see every vertical. We, we see marketplaces from like insects to market. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, every possible vertical you can possibly think of, there's a marketplace for it. Well, I think it's something we were talking about, as I say, all those years ago, where you know, even kind of those really what you would have probably called prehistoric is a, is a very much not the right phrase but very analog in terms of stuff like heavy machinery and agricultural machinery and actually you suddenly think about it and go well of course that makes complete sense there's you know high value transactions that are concentrated in one area you know go back to that craigslist slice why wouldn't that be a billion dollar industry yeah and i'm not sure we spoke about insects a couple of years ago so we'll have to uh, we'll have to talk about that another time for sure and as we're kind of seeing that growth and that verticalization you know what are the, I suppose, key challenges and opportunities you guys are seeing, particularly focused on the payments piece here, right? Like, what are the things that people are saying, this is the differentiation point between, one, what went before, and two, the other marketplaces in in particularly that vertical, maybe? What are the things that people are, are asking for? Yeah, I mean, you have to kind of, like, you, I mean, there's a history of marketplace payments. It's something that's worth visiting. Um, well, let's, let's dive in. Because so typically marketplaces, first marketplaces, consumers, card flows, the, the low value transaction card flow makes sense to do the, the payments through them. PayPal did very well. And they PayPal just basically launched off eBay's network effects. I mean, that's how they launched into the, the, their, their you know, massive business they are today. But in terms of like marketplace payments generally, our marketplaces used to work as they collect money from a card acquirer, money comes into their operational account and they go ahead and bank transfer funds out of their accounts. And so they're sitting on lots of money that's sitting between buyer and seller. And actually, I mean, I spoke to, I'm not going to name the company, but a, a, a large UK-focused, uh, Christmas-focused marketplace. And they actually, because this the funds in their account is quite valuable, they were making more money in January off interest payments than they were yeah. on like revenue that's coming wow. from. Basically, the regulators at that point just went, yeah, this is probably not on. This is going to cause a massive issue at some point. So in 2018, they bought in changes to the PST2 regulations and said you need to move funds out of your operational accounts to work with a payment provider or you need to pivot and become a payment provider. Become regulated yourself become or, because I suppose that the, the thing that we were that they were looking at at that point is to take your Christmas marketplace example that company goes bust for whatever reason there is x amount of money sat in their HSBC business account for example that you know suddenly no one can get hold of is that exactly. kind of the, was the, the trigger point? Yeah, exactly. And then, and then, what the, the the obvious solution then for normal card acquirers is? Well, how about we give a merchant account to every one of the sellers on the platform? Mm-hmm. So every one of the sellers have a merchant account or slash e money account. And then what we do is we add a bit of functionality with the split fees. And then that's the marketplace payment solution. The problem where that falls down is kind of limits on how merchant accounts work and how card acquirers work. You know, speed of payments is not important for a merchant account because I don't care as I'm if I'm doing a small value good. I don't. I actually want to be paid every two weeks or every month. I don't want to be paid every time a good comes in. So, and also kind of like the way that you have to sign up. So a merch account, you sign up, you get verified, you complete KYC. Once you've done that, you can take the first payment. 
So those two points there are big limiting factors on marketplace payments generally. And then B2B is another step further because B2B card rails are a bad idea, frankly, and people have particular use cases and how they make payments. So, and it's often banking rails. So those three steps are what kind of makes it really hard. And then I actually feel slightly, I felt quite a few years ago, quite sorry for B2B marketplaces. Mm. They're told by regulators, get your money into a payment provider. And they look on the market and say, well, I, I have no <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? Like, what am I supposed to do? Because the, so what lots of B2B marketplaces do is they don't take the payment through the marketplace. They connect buyer and seller. They charge a subscription model. They, they want to get close to the transaction because they can make more revenue, but what, what other choices they have? So that's one of the you know, problems we're looking to solve. Interesting. So it becomes that piece that they almost either want to get right involved in that and, and you know, become a fintech themselves, or actually you take that step away, you abstract it away from every, from every member of that equation and work with someone like a trust share to kind of, as I, as I say, abstract that payments piece away from, from them and that collections and payout piece. And I suppose ultimately that regulatory burden piece as well. Yeah. yeah. And so we touched on a little bit about what, what you'll see from kind of sellers and, and their expectations. Like who are driving the expectations of payments within the marketplace? Is it, is it the buyer? Is it the seller? And what's important to them? Is it speed of payment? Is it cross border? What is it that is important? Yeah, so I mean, speed of payments is really important. You know, if you're speed of payments doesn't matter with goods, really. Small value goods doesn't matter. Speed payments when it comes to services and people and larger transactions B2B, it's a problem because businesses want cash flow. So they want if they're doing a large transaction, they want to see that those funds in their account. So, you know, you can use the example of like a freelancer marketplace where, mm. you know, I'm not gonna name a name, but you know, where you get buyers and sellers, uh, you find someone to hand you job, they come around your house, you do the work. Most of those marketplaces use payment solutions where it takes five to ten days for the money to arrive. Mm. So you're supposed to, when the person comes around, go, Oh yeah, thanks for doing the job. Let me go on your app, let me go on the app and actually pay you using my card. Obviously, that doesn't happen. So what yeah. happens in yeah. most cases is, and, and some of the marketplaces speak to you, they expect, you know, they, they admit, kind of feel that four out of five transactions are done this way, you pay in cash because it's cheaper. The person gets paid immediately. So if it's on Friday night and there's lots of these marketplaces, they can go to the pub and, and, and use yeah, the perfect, yeah. So that problem, pain point is, sounds small, but actually it's called disintermediation. The mm -hmm. problem with it is that let's say you've got this marketplace, one out of five of their transactions go through, say collect 15% on the transaction. If they went from two out of five or three out of five transactions by speeding up payments, you've doubled or tripled your revenue as a business. So, so I think um, the sellers say that they want to get paid earlier, but actually the marketplaces want, marketplace should be the people driving this because it's a revenue generator thing because people can pay off platform. So. So the pain of the seller suddenly becomes the pain of the marketplace, right? In quite a distinct and tangible way. Um, yeah. and, and is that what we talk about? We, we've talked about this a couple of times around getting closer to the transaction. Like, what, what do we mean when we talk about marketplaces getting closer to the transaction? Is, it, is that about, as I say, working with someone like yourselves? Is it about being closer to what the, the sellers want? I'd love to understand what we mean by that phrase. Yes. Yeah, so, well, how we define transaction as it's a combination of the payments piece and also the other bits around the transaction. So, you know, the communications piece, the legal piece for some industries, 
But the reason why people are getting close to the trend, so what close to the transaction actually looks like is lots of the older style marketplaces, the Ebays, the the Craigslists, the Gumtrees, those sort of businesses, you connect buyer and seller, you charge mm-hmm. a segment of your users a subscription service, professional sellers, and the free, the, the private sellers are all free. You list them free. Mm-hmm. They're, they're important to build network effects. That's the whole point of them. They're, because because if you offer more listings and you get more buyers, have more choice. So that adds value to the buyer. So getting close to the transaction, they realize, well, if you charge on the platform, it's almost like a no win, no fee sort of commission. Yes. Yeah. You can charge more if you ch- if you charge on payment because rather than doing a subscription payment for, I may get a number of business coming through the marketplace, I am guaranteed business through the marketplace and I get charged a percentage on it. And basically, the I can talk about it in this a bit more detail, but the reason why, but the closer the marketplace around, the closer they are to the transaction, the more they own the flow and make it easy, mm. more they can charge. And also, one one important thing to f- think about is, so marketplaces want to take a percentage of their GMV, their volume that yep. goes through the marketplace generally. The percentage they take is not just how much they charge as a percentage. It's also how much they charge a percentage times by the number of people who actually use the use the product and actually be able to charge. So, you know, you use the freelancer marketplace earlier; they charge maybe charge charge fifteen percent. But if only four four out of five of their transactions are not going through, really they charge you know two percent or whatever yeah. the number is. So it's like a balance. Getting close to transaction is a win win. It allows them to add value through the transaction, builds network effects but also allows them to charge more percentage. So that's like the two most important things in marketplaces. And when we talk about that, we talked about kind of the network effects of the, the PayPal kind of road of eBay a little bit earlier on. And obviously, you know, there's no better example of network effects than a, than a marketplace, right? Where, where do you see people focusing their time and attention in terms of side of the marketplace? Is it the buyers and sellers? And from what you've seen, I know you've probably spoken to more marketplaces than anyone else in, uh, in, the, in the business. But, you know, do you see people are focusing their attention on the right things and on the right side? I'd be interested to know. Again, because it's a, you know it's a double-edged sword. I suppose is probably the right way of putting it. Yeah. So, so with marketplaces generally, and if people are listening and, and looking to start a marketplace, it's really important to start in a smallest niche that you can find because there's a cold start problem with network effects. You know, if you start a marketplace and you don't have any sellers, people come in, they look, oh, you have no sellers. There's no value for me. I'm never coming back. So the you know like, this is like you know classic examples but like like uber for example they started as a a high-end limo firm in a suburb of san francisco san francisco you have marketplaces there's really interesting examples where marketplaces focus on a particular use case and they drive network effects so mm. there's a cleaning marketplace called hassle they got mm. acquired by helpling a german firm and hassle they they had all of these verticals that they were offering so like a general f- freelancer marketplace for jobs around the home and they decide they were struggling to build network effects because they get lots of listings they're trying to get people in for buyers to come in and search and they're struggling to get enough spend in a particular segment so they decided as a group i've heard this on the grapevines i hope it's accurate but they decided like in one meeting next week we're going to count how many leads we get through each vertical Mm. and whatever wins we can everything else okay so literally they did that can they found cleaning cleaner got the most i think they had 30 leads or something at the time they canned everything else 
and only focus on being the cleaner marketplace. So you want to hire a cleaner, you go there. So it meant obviously then they can focus their their marketing on just cleaners. People are looking to find cleaners, and they can fire, focus their seller marketing on just cleaners. So you can build network effects from that. If they continue doing every type of job around the house, they probably wouldn't be the business they were. They are today. So, so what we're hearing here is, you know, to, to generate those network effects, start not even small, but start niche. Look at what that real target area is, whether that's a vertical, whether that's a geography, or probably even better, a combination of both, and build out from there rather than trying to start broad and build up. And, you know, almost what I'm hearing there is kind of spread yourself too thin, right? Rather than marketing towards handymen and marketing towards plumbers and cleaners, et cetera, kind of bring everything under one, you know, into one vertical. And, We've talked about kind of that network effect and that kind of cold start problem and, and how you kind of people should focus on their niche and build up that that seller and then that buyer base. But actually, what about the financial piece? What about building in payments? You know, again, if this is someone doing it for the first time, or actually, again, I know that there are marketplaces out there that we've talked about that we look at kind of either regulatorily, not sure that's a word, or operationally, you know, there are things that they could change or do better. What, what are kind of your key takeaways from what you've been doing and what you've seen that people should think about when they're embedding payments into their marketplace? Yeah, so KYC is a big point of friction and it's the probably the weakness of integrating market payments into, into platforms because network effects, if you put points of friction in front of network effects, it's it dampens, but it's really important to take that step. One thing that we see in particular is like a requirement for traditional marketplace payment providers to require KYC and onboarding upfront, open those merchant accounts in order to accept their first payment. So like if you're a new marketplace starting out, you know, would you, is it an, uh, advantageous to get people listing and get listings on your platform and build network effects and only build the payments piece and get people to complete the KYC verification after they've done their first payment in the, the you know, the, that, problem is exacerbated if you've got a very large marketplace, B2B marketplaces in particular, where you've already got a lot of marketplaces and not a lot of buyers and sellers on your platform, you're non-transactional at the moment, you're looking to go transactional. So we have, you know, marketplaces who have 60,000 sellers on their platform, they're not transactional, and they need to take that step to go transactional. If they have to go around KYC every single seller of those 60,000, what will end up happening is you'll lose a fifth of them because they won't complete the KYC and you'll need to start the payments project at some point for the buyers to start paying in. So the, we have an advantage there because we use escrow infrastructure under, under the hood in terms of our legal frameworks. It means that we only need to KYC sellers once their first payment has come in, which is important because it means you know, the call to action for that seller to get verified is what's your bank account, can provide the personal information here so you can get verified. So it's more of a call to action that makes it less friction, really. And it's a, and as I say, there's kind of an advantage, right? It's like, if you don't do this, you're not going to get paid. And we have kind of the money ready and waiting. Okay, perfect. And you talked a little bit about fraud as well. I'd be interested to know, you know, we talked about, you know, I was talking to um, a client recently about kind of the rise in invoice fraud, you know, the rise in kind of phishing attacks on, on invoices, et cetera. And again, particularly in that B2B world, but we've all heard horror stories across the B2C marketplace world as well. You know, talk to me about kind of what you see in marketplaces in general as, as the challenges and i guess maybe from from your knowledge how people can go about mitigating some of those some of those potential horror stories that we sometimes hear about yeah so i mean i was going to focus on consumer marketplaces for this because the most common marketplace fraud typology is the seller signs up the seller is actually the buyer the buyer has a stolen credit card the buyer pays the seller 
the seller is themselves, they now got money into their bank account, they can go and use it. So they've managed to pay themselves with a stolen credit card. So that's the most common typology that happens. I mean, to be honest, that risk is being massively mitigated by 3DS. And the other way to mitigate that is to verify the seller, because I haven't seen a criminal yet who will selfie-video verify themselves and provide their ID. Quite incriminating, I imagine, if you have a video of yourself as you're using a stolen credit card, yeah. Exactly. And like compared to EKYC, ways of verifying, EKYC is quite easy to, you know, if you find anyone's details, you can go ahead and and, and pretend to be impersonate someone else. Whereas with a with a passport and a self-video verification, it's very hard to defraud that. So that's like our approach to keeping the marketplaces safe. So taking that belt and braces approach, I suppose, as well across that traditional element of, of EKYC, but making sure you're adding those additional layers to mitigate for these types of you know, fraud that we're seeing. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And sort of looping us back around to, to, to kind of the beginning of the conversation, we've talked about, you know, your experience across marketplaces, both B2B and B2C, and what, and what we're seeing in terms of one, generating those network effects, kind of making sure that payments are integrated in, in the right way. Talk to us about trust shares plans for the future and, and, and what you guys are doing and seeing at the moment. Yes, yeah, so we just launched our API. So a bit of history of a trust share. We started out as an escrow provider, making it very easy to launch an escrow solution on marketplaces because we saw that as a, a main solution. Some of the marketplaces we're speaking to said, well, yes, we love escrow, but we also want credit. We also want banking flows. We also want pay-through flows. So we're just adding on to that infrastructure and we're building out an API so you have full control over movement of funds. So a big area that we see, for example, is making it easier to pay via bank transfer. So we use latest and open banking to make that as a convenience mechanism to allow people to pay quickly. We also have this new endpoint called an invoice, where if you create an invoice, we give the dedicated account details per transaction. So we don't use reference numbers. We spin out dedicated account details because it's a nightmare, frankly, if you use reference numbers. And then when the money arrives, our settlements, which is kind of underlying line items on that particular invoice automatically move the funds minus fees and just make it super simple for the marketplaces so uh, yeah we're innovating quite a lot on on kind of you know both pay through payments because you want to if you're a b2b marketplace you need to move the money as quickly as possible if you're taking a fee it's still a point of friction and then making it easy to roll out escrow flows and then working with partners integrating with partners to offer credit flows as well and it sounds like it's very much from talking to those customers from that initial iteration, you've kind of got to, to where you are and, wh- and where you're going and kind of would be remiss of us, you know, at Currency Cloud not to talk a little bit about cross-border and what you see in kind of that international and um, that international piece as well. Do you see there's any kind of specific challenges that you see across those organizations or those marketplaces that buyers and sellers are in different jurisdictions, for example, and, and, and what you're seeing in that world? Yeah, so marketplaces, we talked earlier about marketplaces being as niche as possible, like staying localized. Mm-hmm. But once you start to build network effects, and particularly in B2B, they try and focus on a vertical. But you have a mm-hmm. seller who comes along saying, I'm in Australia, for example. Of course, you want to be able to support that seller. Because if you don't, you're saying, well, I'm only supporting a very local area. You, once people want to come along, you want to come along. So cross-border needs is, is hugely important, especially in B2B. I mean, an escrow payment, for example, which we're mainly focusing on, we're now obviously offering more as a complete fintech layer, but escrow payments in particular, it's most attractive to be cross-border because the trust is lower, deposit funds, hold funds, protected, wait until the service is delivered, then release funds. So yeah, I mean, we we work with Currency Cloud for kind of our FX capabilities, 
and cross-border needs. So yeah, that's really important. The, the other really important thing in terms of our strategy as well is to build out local routes to have a local mm. presence in those in those countries because it's faster payments, it's yeah. cheaper, you know, the, the standard things that help marketplaces, making it faster, making it cheaper, and making it adding value through the transaction. Brilliant. Well, look, Nick, I think we've, we've run out of time for today. I think thank you so much for running us through that kind of, I suppose, right from the beginning of marketplaces history, right through to um, what TrustShare are doing today. And I think, again, I don't think between you and I and what we see, I don't think we think that growth is going to slow down at any time soon. And I think we'll see TrustShare right at the forefront of that. So thank you very much for joining us today. Great. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. Brilliant. And we'll see you on another edition of the Payments Innovation Podcast. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.